This is episode 62 of the Inspired Energy podcast, and in this episode, I catch up with Chris Stu. Chris is the head of fleet at Essential Energy and has led the fleet asset management transformation program. Over the past eight months, we've had bushfires, floods, and of course, COVID-19. All these crises impacting businesses and teams and people's lives and livelihoods. I chat with Chris about all things risk, response, learning agility, and leadership. Chris is also very much a values-based leader, and we talk about the importance of aligned values within teams and organizations. I absolutely love catching up with Chris and hearing his passion for leadership and change, and him sharing his insights and learnings he got out of these past six months. So I hope you get as much out of this great conversation as I did. So here I go, catching up with Chris Dew. Uh, welcome, Chris, to the podcast, mate. I'm so glad you're available to join me. I know you're a busy man, uh, and busy is, is, I shouldn't use that word because I know you don't like that word very much. <laughs> Thanks, Mario. I'm very glad to be joining you for this podcast. Um, yes, I, my attention is stretched, but but I, uh, but I refuse to say that I'm busy. I'm looking forward to the chat because over the years, I've really enjoyed our discussions around leadership and culture and also. Um, just the passion you have for it and how important that is in the work that you do uh, as a leader in the business. Um, Can I just ask first off, you know, it's been a topsy turvy year. Um, What's your, your reflection you think mate, just on these past, it's funny. I lose track of weeks. I don't know, six weeks, eight weeks. (laughs) Yes. yes. What's what's your reflection from a leadership perspective and, and from a personal perspective? Uh, I'll start from a leadership perspective, Mario. I think 2020, um, it's not the 2020 anyone envisioned. Let's, mm. let's just state the, the bleeding obvious. Um, the, the great thing about 2020 is it's given awesome people, particularly, particularly the people in my immediate circle, but also in Australia, the chance to stand up. Um, it's a massive opportunity and, Leadership's leadership's quite easy when when times are easy. Um, yep. There's been several individuals, um, both at a, a macro and micro level, across Australia that have, have really stepped to the plate. And I'm, I'm prouder than I ever have been to be Australian. I'm prouder than I ever have been to be a, a New South Wales, a New South Welshman, so to speak. Yeah. Um, and I'm I'm proud to be associated with the groups that I do, given given the 2020 we faced. Um, I I love that. Um, and I remember years ago in my career, someone saying people remember how you behave when times are tough. And I remember, you know, going back oh, 20 years when there was redundancies and organizational change and how some people would respond. And as you said, some would, would perform better and others not. What some leadership uh, attributes do you think you've seen really shine in these last uh, couple of months? Probably start with the, with the last quarter of 2019, Murray. Um, the state of New South Wales, specifically in the last quarter of 2019, November, December, faced some, some harrowing times. And a lot of the customers and constituents in our, um, of our business faced some really tough times and it required a lot of people to stand up, um, a lot of people, a lot of organisations. And, and I, was, I was proud to be a part of, of that recovery effort and I was proud to be a part of it um, of the way it was led as well, I was very, very happy to to fall in line and, and follow the leadership of the RFS and 
and the way that that went through watching watching particularly the northern part of the state um, rally together in a, in a time of need we, we got five minutes to catch our breath over Christmas and then the, uh, the south of the state um, had had their turn um, not that it should be referred to as a term but it was the the focus shifted there um, I watched all the organizations that were part of that recovery grow um, the rapid learning um, the learning agility from quarter quarter four 2019 to quarter one 2020 um, was absolutely second and I was fantastic to be a part of and certainly I was able to reflect and, and learn off learn off each other very very quickly um, then we went from a point at which we were we were facing uh, a a localized uh, threat and we were banding together so it was requiring mass mobilization into a location and mass assistance to almost the counter opposite in the way that we're now facing an invisible threat um, and we've actually had to distance ourselves rather than respond in one location so we've gone i've actually had people say to me i'd, I'd rather face the fire at least i knew where it was um, yeah. that's an interesting insight um, but watching the way people have taken the growth from what we what we experienced as a as a team to then how we apply that to COVID, it's been fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean it's it's funny that not funny I shouldn't say you funny, but it's easy to forget how bad things were at the end of last year and the start of this year because with COVID, it, I mean times just seem to have changed so dramatically um, from that time, but. It's good to reflect on that um, and the leadership and the, the teamwork uh, that so many organisations pulled together to, as you said, serve the community. I like how you actually mentioned rapid learning because mm. there was that rapid, um, I remember you and I were talking about earlier this year, how quickly people adapted and learned what they need to do, changed on the fly um, to keep um, delivering on the work they needed to do. Um, yeah, I think it was a really good example of that. Um, the RFS Commissioner, Shane Fitzsimmons, mm -hmm. um, watching some of his first press briefings from, uh, from the North Coast fire responses um, and, then, and then watching, watching the growth throughout that phase. I think that's a, that's a real representation of what was going on in everyone's world. Um, and I like the way I actually see what we're doing with COVID as a state and as Australia. And a form of pulling together as much as that doesn't sound quite right um, that we're, we're pulling together but it looks different doesn't mean it feels different um, and I, I think it's it's once again it's fantastic it, it shows it shows how quickly we can reflect learn and grow reflect learn and grow keep going around that cycle um, every day is different and what it builds is agility and response agility which particularly with COVID's, COVID's not going away. Uh, we, we're now preparing ourselves for ourselves for a, a potential waves type approach on off on off and a, and that sort of stuff. Agility is going to be the most important thing of it, and certainly um, when I talk about agility, agility and leadership is how how we're going to how we're going to tackle that. Yeah, and when you say leadership, I think not just leaders of title, but that self leadership and leaders leadership at all levels. And in all directions, leadership of peers, um, leadership up, down, left, right. Yeah, it's, it's, it's incredibly important. Yeah, I, well, I, mate, I've lost track of time, but I think it must have been back around January when you were down the south coast and how you were uh, following the direction or the leadership of a whole range of different people. It doesn't matter what level they are in the business because that's what was needed. 
Yeah, that was quite interesting. I think this, if I'm if I'm right in calling out the specific example, Mario, I was uh, a member of. Um, I head up head up the fleet function for Essential Energy, and as part of our fire, our, our um, bushfire response, we actually uh, reorganised our structure as such, so so that members of the team um, became hub response hub leaders. Um, mm. And yeah, I, I actually wound up being a a response hub team member um, and reporting to someone that had traditionally reported to me, which obviously a, a really unique situation and, and attest to the strength of the team that we're able to understand that, respect it, um, pay, pay homage to it, know why it's there. Um, and knowing that we're committed to a common purpose, a common vision makes a massive, a massive difference in that space. So yeah, it was, it was a really cool, um, a really cool example of, of leadership, leadership agility and, yep. and ability, ability to respond and serve. Yeah. And I could, I'm just reflecting on ego and just throwing that out there that in those times you can't have an ego that's going to get in the way of that, that agility. If your ego is stuck in the, I need to be the leader. I need to be right. I need to be in control. That's not going to work in that situation at all. Is it? No, not at all. And it's, it's ego, um, ego or sense of self, is is can be quite destructive at times at times it can be productive as well but it can be quite destructive when it's not consistent with purpose mm-hmm. uh, and that's that's the piece that's really important there that the purpose of us um, conducting the response operations um, in the bush in the bushfire um, rabbit zones was that our, our customers were in a in a dire time of need and we were there to provide the support so having that laser light focus to that purpose um, Putting all the other stuff to the side and and working together as a team, that's that's where that that ego all of a sudden slips away. I don't like saying ego is a negative term. If egos if the ego is aligned to that purpose, then it can actually be quite helpful. Um, yeah. If it's misaligned with that purpose, if it's if it's got a different intent or a different objective, then absolutely that's that's destructive and it needs to be it needs to be talked about. That's a courageous conversation that needs to be had. Yeah, I, you're actually bringing to my awareness. Um, through that process and that support that you and the team went through, how when there is a clear purpose and we're aligned in that purpose, how powerful that is. And a crisis and emergency, emergency situation gives you that. And then it's about how do we take that to the day-to-day work to make sure we are aligned to that purpose day in, day out. Yeah, I think in in, the, in that situation, and, and no different to COVID, what we're going through right now, it, it's you can touch and feel and hold it. It's a purpose. We've we've got laser like focus on the purpose because it's real, it's tangible, it's relatable. Mm. Uh, that's that's the challenge for anyone in a in senior leadership role, a, a new leader in a role, is quite often you know, be. Big companies, smaller companies, every company has some form of vision, objective, and purpose. Um, and it's always written and it's and clearly, you know, this is something I'm quite passionate about. It's about how's that real for you? How's that, how do those words resonate with you? And how would they, how do they look and feel in your world? And are they consistent with your values? Another big, a big conversation that needs to be had. As soon as it becomes real, you can believe in it and you can lead it. Um, anything less and it's inauthentic and and essentially at that point in time you're a vessel filling a seat um, of which i would argue i would argue that you may not be in the best may not be leveraging your maximum potential but 
Um, but unlocking that is, is really hard. I think the advantage of events such as bushfires and COVID is it, it brings it into real near-term focus, which makes it easy to relate to. But you're right, doing it on a daily basis with a, with a, with a corporatised vision is, is difficult. That doesn't mean we run away from it. It means we try harder. Yeah, yeah. Now, I made a comment to my wife the other day, and I was thinking about your business and some similar businesses. And what I said was, I said that the businesses I work with that seem to manage risk day in, day out, seem to have responded better to COVID. So in my, my work, I work with uh, you know, a whole range of different companies. And it seems like those ones that have a better risk understanding, hazard management perception and how they look after that, have responded better to COVID. What's your thoughts on that one? I think that's a really good observation, Murray, and I think we could we could talk about this for an hour on, on its own. <laughs> um, risk, obviously, I have a I have a background in asset management, so risk management is something I'm I'm really okay with. Um, and without sounding like a broken record, I, I think this goes back to that tangibility again. That particularly when Australia, being a knowledge working society that absolutely values worker health and worker well being, um, which I'm incredibly proud to be a part of. Safety, safety, in particular, physical safety is is really well understood. Um, which means things like risk perception, hazard management, hazard awareness, hazard control, are really, really easy to talk about. Um, it's I find it really interesting that the best the companies that are really good at managing risk are, are quite often um, successful in their own right. And I can call out a number that normally, if you're really good at managing risk you'll manage financial risk social risk um, societal risk sovereign risk political risk all in the same way as as you will physical risk um, having a really good understanding of that is is important so i would actually i would actually say that the companies that are really good at managing risk and particularly hazard awareness perception and management are, are the ones that are going to prosper um, and are prospering through COVID. Um, they tend to be the ones that see the opportunity and and see the see the the opportunity to pivot delivery models. For example, we were having a good conversation with a friend the other day, and we were talking about COVID and the particular business he was he was part of. He he said, you know, we COVID has actually not forced us to change our strategy. Our, our strategy hasn't changed. Our, our strategy of of community embeddement, which is what they're in, um, is the same. Our delivery models changed. So that's actually because it's not a strategy change; it's a delivery pivot. Doesn't yep. require structural change in our business. Doesn't we, we're managing that this way versus a business that is pivoting to a new product, which is ab that's absolutely a strategy change. Now we're talking about you know ground up, ground up build. They're the businesses that I see will go well um, and are going well, continue to go well. I think the your point around high risk, um, high risk industrial um, businesses, we have we have a, a, an advantage. Quite simply, because we've we've had to get we've had to get good at it because the the half life of impact from poor safety performance is absolutely it's small. You have to be able to manage it really quickly, really well, really succinctly. Um, that's where. So I think that that hazard management, um, the approach to short term hazard management is much better with those with those businesses, which is what's coming to the fore. Um, yeah. yeah, and I, I also think about managing a hazard you can't see is part of the business that you do that you're involved with and we've got another one right now 
in this pandemic. Yes, yes, the um, hidden or developing hidden or developing hazard management is always really interesting. Um, and we've actually been having a lot of conversations around this, around trying to manage a hazard. We don't have a real great handle on the likelihood. We understand the consequence, but we're not quite sure of the likelihood. Mm. And we're now in a situation where we're having to trade off some of that against um, existing risk. You know, in my particular space, I, I manage fleet. We were talking recently around social distancing. Um, it's there absolutely there's a fantastic control to prevent um, contagion of COVID and that turning into, into the disease. Um, one of the potential controls that was, was spoken with me about was single, single occupants in motor vehicles. Um, on the face, very, very good as a, as a risk control, um, definitely going to control the spread of contagion. However, we also know that the most dangerous activity in the Australian workplace is driving motor vehicles. So we're now increasing our exposure there. So we had a really interesting conversation around what's the, what's the arbitrage of the risk? If we're going to take on more, can we manage that? Um, because by introducing a control to control contagion, we're actually eroding our control in road safety. So we need to consciously manage the both. Um, that's the advantage that companies in industrialised settings have in this situation. Um, yeah, it's interesting. Yeah, that's a, yeah, I think that perspective of, okay, we're going to implement a control. Let's think about what the impact of that control is and does that introduce greater risk, a flow-on effect, a ripple effect that maybe an organisation that's not used to doing that would be unaware of. So... Yeah, and this is where leadership starts to starts to move into risk management in the way mm. that the, the world isn't a vacuum. Um, with that particular example, there is going to be situations where it makes sense to single-person operate motor vehicles because we will be able to control the existing risk in another way. However, that's not going to be applicable everywhere. And this is where the leadership comes in, that we need, we need people that are committed to our, to our vision, to our purpose, they understand our values, understand what we're trying to achieve. Um, so we can make really great decisions on the fly in the moment that address the specifics and the contextual setting um, because the world isn't a vacuum. Yeah. So that risk, risk leadership is, is sort of, I don't know if that's a term, but maybe it should be. Because, um, <laughs> yeah, it's something that I think that's the advantage of working in those, in those high-risk environments. You're much more comfortable in making those decisions and balancing likelihood, consequence, outcomes and controls. Mm. Mm. So, mate, tell me, What's something out of COVID-19 and the changes to ways of working that you want to make sure continues going forward? Well, I've been asked this question a couple of times, Murray. Um, there is thousands and thousands of micro things, which is a good way of avoiding that question. <laughs> the, I've, I've, for quite some time, I, I am quite innovative. I do like to move around. I'm quite social. Um, I do, I do pride myself on being um, very mobile, hyper-mobile, to use a term. Um, that's even myself, I've found I've had to click that up a year um, for, for this, um, yep. for COVID. Um, it's ironic that we're, we're at a stay-at-home, um, we're or a stay-at-home as a principle, and here I am talking about being more mobile. It's, it's quite ironic. But um, I think being more agile, 
is is and in that being able to work work is what we do not where we are is is the piece that i'd love to see a part of it um the other the other piece i think is that now more than ever i've never been a massive fan of the term work-life balance um primarily because i'm conscious that me saying that comes across quite negative the um, the reason i let me turn that constructive. The reason I'm not I'm not happy with work-life balance is because it immediately puts the two at odds. Yeah, um, which which is it, it essentially introduces a silo that doesn't need to be there. You know, so me and my partner are, are talking. We're going through some life changes now, and we're talking about one of the things that, particularly for me, that work gives me is intellectual stimulus. And if I lose that, um, that's gonna that's gonna cause us some significant heartache because I'm gonna turn that intellectual need to, towards our relationship <laughs> maybe maybe a bit different. So I, I think from that perspective, it's actually blurred that line. It's made it so blurry that it's it's better. I, I like yeah. that. And now we're talking about life, and part of what we do is work. Part of what we do is leisure. Part of what we do is sleep. And all of a sudden, we're getting better at actually making it homogenous. Um, yeah, I, I I agree with you because I feel like it that old saying and and we're not the only ones saying it that work life balance is saying your life happens outside of work yes, and yeah. work is this thing you have to you know begrudgingly do day in day out and you know thank God it's Friday you've got it done and then you go and live your life which that's no way to live the other five days of the week <laughs> absolutely absolutely and I think there's a really cool actually having this conversation um there's a, there a really a deep reflective conversation with some of my team um earlier this week around alignment uh you know alignment to my my and murray you've heard me say say this I, I join a purpose i don't join a company that's that's my overwhelming motto um and we we're talking around the way when someone's really committed to a purpose um mm. and and where where it's really hard but having that extrinsic motivation and we're committed to a purpose and when someone gets really committed they can actually wind up starting to sacrifice some of their own welfare um wellness welfare whatever financial could be anything um that's actually that's actually a sign of someone burning white hot and it's a it's a it's a short path so we're having a really good conversation around how do we balance the intrinsic or self um or what self-growth against the greater the greater good or the extrinsic purpose and making sure if it's if it's 100 intrinsic um that's someone that's that's likely got a value set that's misaligned with the team or the company um, if it's someone that's overly committed to the company then they're likely going to burn white hot and there may be some some damage being done that we're unaware of there's sort of if you can imagine that's a, a spectrum of 100 to zero somewhere in the middle is the right answer and yeah and it's our job as leaders to make sure that we're balancing that so that we get a long-term, you know, the 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 career, um, the the employee life cycle is maximised. You know, that that's the piece. So it's a really cool discussion, and I think what's happened in COVID will allow us to do that better because now we're not talking about business and personal work and life being separate separate things that are in constant competition. I, I I'm seeing that, and I'm seeing that how people are thinking about people again as people, not that they weren't before, but it's just come to the fore even more. You know, you've got people having Zoom calls and online meetings, inviting people to their house uh, in ways that they haven't before. And there's this openness and that, oh, you're a real person. I wanna make sure that you're okay going forward and I care about you. And I think you're right, it sort of brought that out even stronger, which is really powerful. Hmm. Yes, it's, 
splendid the support network that's around mm. an employee um, that's around a friend. You know, I think of, I now know the support network around some of my best friends a lot better. And I say friend as colleague, because to me, the word friend and colleague is interchangeable. You know, it's, it's not, it's not. So I now know their support network. I knew the professional support network. Now I know the home support network a lot better. Um, and we're more open about it. It's, it's just more open. It's ironic that we're more open about it when we're socially separated than we were when we're together. It's, it's sort of counterintuitive, but yeah, it's, it's really great. Yeah. And, and I mean, I was asking you what you, what you think is one of the good things out of COVID to continue. And I love what you've talked about with agility and that flexibility and um, that mobility. I'm thinking also about, if I add another word that hopefully rhymes is vulnerability. I think mm. that that has increased through this process, that, that openness. Yeah. And, and it builds trust. That's the mm. piece. Um, that's the piece there that, that, we talk, we talk about humans and um, ultimately humans are fallible and ironically an expert is someone that's, that's just made a collective set of failures in a particular field. Um, yet we, we find it really hard to talk about them. And, and certainly that's, that's something that I feel we, through COVID we've gotten better at, which has allowed us to build better levels of trust. Um, yep. That's not, not happening everywhere, um, but it, it certainly is moving in the right direction and, that would be my only caution with this topic is we don't want to wind up in a situation where we have pockets of excellence. Um, we need to make sure that the virtual rooms that this, that this creative um, growth is happening are, are connected, um, if that makes sense. And the virtual rooms are now, are now even less visible, if that makes sense. You know, you and I could be talking on, on this particular Zoom call and then after this Zoom call, you could be talking to someone in West Australia, could be talking to someone in New Zealand, or somewhere in different parts of the world. Yeah, we haven't visibly left. Um, so, making that would be my only caution with this, with the with the the increase um, in understanding of each other, the increase, the, the improving, or the the increasing vulnerability, the incre improving trust, making sure that that's actually across to the best extent we can across the board, and not areas of of hyper growth that are inadvertently leaving other areas behind because when we do come back together and whatever the new normal is as much as that's the new normal i don't think is, is ever going to be settled um yeah that could be quite the stark the stark sort of reality if we start the social dynamics would be quite a shock to the system so let's make sure we do that really smart yeah, and I'm actually thinking how important it is around the alignment of leaders so that there is that alignment about how we are working now and what that looks like going forward. So that communication, that understanding, that agreement are in that alignment so that that um, brings along a level of understanding and implementation in whatever that new normal looks like. Mm. I think alignment, alignment of leaders is really interesting um outside of outside of behavioral alignment so beliefs attitudes behaviors alignment um that, that that should absolutely be something we're working on every single day and and having courageous conversations if it's not there because the problem certainly doesn't get better with age um, I, what i'm seeing is there's a lot better alignment around our use of our use of attention i, I called it out at the start of, I'm not a massive fan of the word busy. Um, mm, mm. 
um, and um, there's a bit of contextual setting required here. Um, take it, give it, time is a really, really easy thing to measure, arguably one of the easiest metrics in the world, and that makes it that things that are easy to measure tend to get measured. Um, and ironically, some of the software platforms that we use um, consistently in business, i.e. Outlook, are designed to be very sticky. They make it, it, make, it feels good to manage your time. It feels like we're achieving something. Um, I'm also consciously aware that if I take, give it, give a time, 10 hours, a 10 hour block, for example, I don't have 10 hours of attention. I, I can't be present for 10 hours. I, I, I'm going to weigh in and out. And so very conscious with where I place my attention. Um, and I'm very conscious whenever I'm sort of looking at how my day is going to plan out. For example, this, this particular Zoom, very high intellectual load, very high attention requirement. The, the activities I'm doing either side of that, I'll deliberately, deliberately make sure that they're for information or I'll be clear with people that I'm with in virtual rooms in this case. I've just come out of a really intense session. So I'm here and I'm cool to have a light chat, but let's, let's park any heavy stuff. Um, I, hope, I hope this isn't too heavy for you, man. <laughs> <laughs> it's enjoyable. It's enjoyable. <laughs> but I think that's, that's the piece that's going to be really interesting as we, as we graph back to mm. sharing of locations again, is how do we better manage attention? Because time is a really poor proxy for it. Um, yeah. And I think this has been, given that there's been some level of standardisation, i.e. we're all looking at a camera and a monitor at the moment, um, we've essentially sat, established a control. So now everyone's having to think a little bit more about attention and how it relates to time uh, because we're all not moving. We're all now doing largely the same activity, sitting in a chair, looking at a monitor, standing, looking at a monitor. Um, it'll be really interesting to see how that conversation evolves um, as we move back into office environments and so on and co-located situations. Um, how do we how do we maintain that focus of of let's not manage time anymore? Let's manage our attention on what we're applying our attention to. Yeah, and I think you've mentioned courageous conversations a couple of times, and I'd like to think they are happening more at the moment. People are having those conversations because they need to, and that they continue in the new world where it's like okay, where do, where is the attention needed? Where is it not? And having that. And not just slipping back into old habits, which weren't serving where it was very time measured. Mm. Mm. I think um, you and I have discussed the the um, the book. It's it's the manager and it's yep. uh, and it's it's posture of um, managers to coaches. I think is a term. I might have that terminology wrong. Um, no, you're you're spot on. Yep. The um, I think there's a really there's a really when, when we hear the term managers to coaches, it's really easy to go towards coaches being highly, um, highly a highly motivating individual. And that absolutely is true. Um, I think of the best coaches that I've worked for, both in a professional setting, you know, personal and, and sporting settings, um, they are very motivational individuals and they, and they draw their motivation from absolutely, absolutely a commitment to a, a, a purpose. A vision, A objective. You know, a sporting code. It might be the winning of something. For example, in, in a personal setting, it might be um, some sort of life life goal. Um, a really important piece of that of being inspirational and demonstrating commitment to an un, undying purpose, for, for want of a better word, is to show and to to absolutely show when an expectation isn't met, and to make sure that that's clear. 
that that's really important to do um, and it's something that i think the professional world i use the word i think there with intent i think the professional world has grappled with a, li- a lot so we tend to jump straight towards transactional management i.e x amount of widgets per hour um, as opposed to behavioral and and belief type management um, yeah i'm really keen to see that stay to, to stay um, because at the end of the day, if, we, if we're managing, we can't act our way into a belief. We can't act our way into an attitude. It, it absolutely has to be intrinsic and core. Um, that, that's I'm really keen to see that that particularly stay into the into the new world. We've had a transition with that with a with a new operating model where now there's a lot less co-location. There's a lot less oversight. So we're now relying on people's intrinsic motivation a lot more. Yeah. We're now realizing we have to manage it. Um, yeah, we have yeah. to own it. We have to understand it. We have to talk about it. So we need to transition that back to the work environment when the transactional measures can be done better. That doesn't mean we go back to them, if that makes sense. It's a little bit like the whole time's easy to measure, therefore it gets measured. Yeah, of course. The bit I just want to add to this um, element too is when you talk about um, manager to coach, I like people to think about coach-like. So if you think about the attributes and the behaviours of a coach, asking questions, unlocking potential, being really present, um, helping someone support their development. I think that's what this is about too. So how do managers, leaders do more of that um, and bring those ways of working and ways of, of being that a coach does into their management practice? Yeah. Yep. I think, and I would, as part of that coach-like, um, I would also add the the road mapping type thing. I don't want to use the word planning, but that that forward looking, um, mm. certainly a conversation that we're having a lot within within the leadership team that I'm a member of at the moment is around where we're now transitioning into winter in Australia. Uh, we're talking, you know, we're now seeing shorter days, we're seeing colder weather. Um, that has a significant impact year on year um, on top of influenza and everything else that comes with that. Um, a significant mental impact year on year. Um, that means it's going to be amplified this year. So what the one the one thing we do have in our at our disposal now is time. Yep. So how can we use it wisely? Because if we don't, once again, this problem isn't going to get better. This problem isn't going to get better with age. So let's talk about now. Let's make sure we, we've got active strategies now. And that strategy may just be as simple as raising the conversation, allowing people, giving the people the freedom within a framework to actually solve it um, or it could be something more didactic or transact I don't know but at least the important thing is we start the conversation and to me that's that's a coach's role um, that's that piece that we need to be asking the right questions to make sure that we're setting up setting up for success um, yeah and equally you know that requires a really open and, and transparent relationship with with the teams um, that if we're seeing something and doesn't quite sound right. Doesn't quite smell right. Hey, this could change. Let's raise it and let's let's talk about it. Um, now, I want to just wrap that up because I want to move on to some other topic. But I think what you're also reminding me of something I picked up in the a positive change through COVID nineteen, and that's been a more frequent um, focus communication with leaders with teams where previously it might've been, let's wait for a period of time till we have a meeting and then we'll discuss it. But where what I'm seeing from the, the good leadership practice is we're talking more frequently, more focused, and people find that really valuable. 
So it's giving that that more regular and frequent conversation. Yeah, and I would add to that, not more frequent and more focused, but I would say more topical as well. Um, now seeing, um, particularly, I think of my own my own um, world. I can now I can now attend a meeting in three or four different parts of New South Wales um, with three or four different teams in rapid succession, where historically um, I would have relied on being there in person, potentially. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, that's that that means that I can now deliver a much more um, focused conversation because I'm now walking from one team or silo walking from one team to to another um, and delivering a a very focused message because I'm still on that topic but it's also a topical message I'm able to get that that information to to that team faster yeah uh, so that that half life of communication has really showed slowed down uh, sorry. Um, get get information out as as quickly as possible. Yeah. All right. I'm going to try something with you. Here we go. Some rapid fire questions. Okay. <laughs> we'll see how you go. Um, what is values based leadership? Values based leadership is commitment to a common purpose and alignment of personal and extrinsic values. Oh. You've done well to answer that one in such a short fashion because I know how passionate you are about values. Very much so. <laughs> Fantastic. Now, tell me when you say, and I've heard this quote from you before, I don't know what report I need till I see it. Tell me what that one means. Yeah. Reporting's, reporting is really, really interesting in so many different ways. I'll sort of answer your question with an example of, of a, a brief period of my career where I spent some time in a, in a BA role. And I was, I was taught by a very good friend of mine that a really good BA, um, once again, to go back to values-based leadership, understands, um, understands what needs to be done and acts in a very ethical way, ethical and aligned to, to the objective, to the common objective. Um, that means that a BA can quite often understand what needs to be done and how to get there. Yeah. And for example, yeah, that could in this particular situation, I was doing some stuff around maintenance, uh, maintenance analytics, and there were some things that didn't quite seem right. Um, for example, schedule compliance was was um, the standard deviation on schedule compliance was incredibly narrow, um, which you know. If you think of a traditional maintenance manager's perspective, you know the maintenance manager is likely likely two thumbs up, um, two thumbs up moving forward type thing. As a, in that role as a BA and and having experience in a in a maintenance maintenance manager's role, I was actually thinking that doesn't sound right. We need to do some more digging there. Um, as a result, by acting with that with that values and, and ethically ethically aligned behaviour, I was actually able to uncover some some anomalies in which way that. So there was there was ways we could manage better, um, manage the department better, and I was able to present that to the maintenance manager and say, "Hey, I know I know the headline number looks okay, but there's some stuff in here that we could do better." Now that that particular maintenance manager at that point in time came to me and said, "I didn't even know I needed to see that." Yeah, so, gotcha. Um, that that and through you th you think of that. That's where a statistician um, a statistician starts to make that step into into that analyst world the leadership world 
um, we were able to improve that department's performance. Um, and what, what that actually, short story, what that actually uncovered was, um, was some stuff around system. The system was very, very hard to use. And so as a result, the team had, the team had figured out ways to use it um, that, that actually enabled them to deliver what they needed on a daily basis. But it didn't, it didn't actually, um, it didn't help the engineering team actually improve the assets they were maintaining. Um, so it turned out it was actually a system driving behaviour rather than behaviour driving system. So I think of if if we had if we had someone in that role that had basically delivered on the requirement of the maintenance manager, which was I need to see schedule compliance, that improvement would have never happened. Yeah. Um, and so that's where that saying comes from. And it's amazing how often when I sit with my own team, um, and it, we might start with a question, and it might be you know. Um, What's our, what's our risk profile in relation to incident, um, incidents involving cranes? That might be the question. And that could take you down 25 different reporting lines. Um, which, which reporting line you go down is really important and that's heavily reliant on the team. So first bit of feedback, rapid fire questions are out the window and that's, that's okay. <laughs> because I love it when you give me this, this data, this information, this insight. Um, and... I love how you linked the BA role and I don't know what report I need till I see it back to values-based leadership and creating a culture of values, alignment and trust. Cause as a BA, you couldn't have done that if you were trusted and empowered. No, absolutely. And this, this, um, I think trust, trust is such an important word and it's, it's commonly used, seldom understood would be, um, mm. would be the way I'd, I'd term trust it has, trust has to be it's obviously a genuine genuine attribute and if you've got it it's just the glue that makes things work and you don't know don't know why things are working but they just work and then when it's not there it just feels like well it feels like a big gearbox and none of the none of the gears are sticking together you know it's, it's just grinding all that on that's what it feels like um that that particular that particular example that team that i was a part of um we we had we enjoyed fantastic success, but when I when I think back to that team, I've got a smile on my face now. When I think back to that team, the success we enjoyed wasn't in the form of financial returns to the business or you know anything anything of that nature. The success we enjoyed was actually the work environment. Um, by by having a really trusting and open relationship and having that that framework and the freedom to work with inside it, it drove up um, all of our engagement. We were actually committed. To the, to the common thing we were there to do. Um, and it, as a result, we were all highly engaged. We all enjoyed working with each other. Things just started to click. And yep. people, I remember at the time, we would have people come and speak to us and say, oh, you know, how, how is this working so well? Or why do you think this works so well? And none of us could answer the question. It was, I don't know, it just does. You know, and I think that comes back to that trust piece, was if, knowing what I know now, or my answer would have been trust. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> Um, I'm going to give you another test though on the uh, rapid fire questions, mate, where we've got a little, little bit more time. So my question is around um, if you could articulate the role of leadership in successful culture transformation. If you could pass on, you know, a couple of tips, let's just say two tips to someone to a leader who's listening to the podcast, if you really want to lock in culture, cultural transformation, 
you know, what, what would you say are those key tips for a leader? Well, I'm trying to think of two. You can go one or 50. <laughs> easily do 50. The first one would be don't understate it. Just don't understate it. Um, the, the transformations that I've been involved with, um, it's very easy to get caught up in the strategy development. Um, mm. Really easy to, for that to happen. Um, and largely because strategy development is, is very rewarding. Um, equally for myself. So this is a bit of self-feedback. We can get caught up here as well. Um, we've all heard, we've all heard the sayings, um, and cold treat strategy for breakfast is one of the most common ones. Um, once again, it's around making that real for you. It's, it's when we're, when we're looking at a strategy and we're saying, okay, we want to go, we want to, we want to head in this direction. We want to take this hill. Um, really sit down and, and understand, okay, well, what does a good culture look like um, to take that hill? And obviously, there's going to be there's going to be overarchings, which is what we all need to know why we're doing it. Yeah. Um, yep, yep, for sure. Um, I would add to that: every individual needs to know why taking the hill is important for them as well. That goes to that that piece around um, intrinsic extrinsic motivation. Um, so it's the why and why for me type thing. Um, and then there's all the other little pieces that go around it. You know, what are we, if we, if we're aiming to increase our cadence, for example, to go to go after that goal in the short term, what's the backside of that look like? You know, mm -hmm. We can't sustainably increase cadence unless we make structural or meaningful change. Um, you know, if we if we increase our cadence and we don't make change, all we're doing is driving everything harder and driving everything harder. Obviously, shortens shortens its life cycle. So. You know, when you start talking about doing that with humans, obviously engagement falls off and, and retention rates fall. Um, the, the meaningful measures go in the wrong direction. Um, so making it real, making the what when how does the culture look? I personally I like to start with um, a bit of a bit of discussion, dialogue um, type stuff with with key key team members, key stakeholders. I like to use the tool, like my go-to tool is a cultural web. Um, I put that up on a wall with a whole bunch of sticky notes and say, right, over with our, you know, with our rituals, for example, I think it's rituals, um, control structures is one of them, um, routines is another, symbols is another. Um, and you sticky note, what's the symbols we want to see? You know, yep. For example, if we're, if, if we're, say, planning a large turnaround at an industrial facility, well, structure might be very important for that because that's a critical requirement um, when you're running a turnaround, mm. okay, well, we're going to structure with hard, with hard start and finish type things, or we might have hard control gates. Um, that's an important symbol, for example. That that start you start to pick up all these all these things you can touch and hold. They start to if they're con if they're consistent with the culture, they build a culture. If they're if they're inconsistent with the culture, they erode it. So that's a really cool tool that I like to and then. And then you start to refine that down into a, into a brand. Um, you know, I'd, I'd say brand is probably better terms for that, but what are we, who are we? And certainly in the team that I'm, that I'm leading now, um, we've settled on the three words of resourcefulness, initiative and professionalism. That's what we are. So for example, if you think of a, if you think of a routine, um, or if you, if you think of a ritual for um, professionalism, it, it may be, for example, we don't move our, our, our leadership team time slots. We, we leave them where they are and if we can't 
if we can't make it for whatever reason, we provide a really good, it's, it's mutual, it's shared accountability. We provide a really good reason to the entire team, not the leader, to the entire team on why. And we do that using different communication methods. But um, that's, that's important because we are professional. That aligns yeah. with the and, and links back to your point earlier about they're, they're not just words. What do they actually look like? How do we, how do we know? How are we going to hold each other mutually accountable? What, what are those behaviours that go with that? Um, mm-hmm. mate i'm mindful of our time that's you know getting close to 50 minutes it's been fantastic and we haven't even touched on strengths something i'm passionate about and i know you are so that'll be conversation number two i'd say very good, very, very um, good. plus a bunch of other stuff i'm sure we could talk about um i want to thank you mate. i want to thank you so much for your openness um your insight the the perspective you bring to leadership and culture and um even the openness around sharing up front around the experiences you've had in the past, you know, six, seven months as a team in a business and what that's been like and what's that shown and, and some of those lessons out of that. So I know that was really valuable for everyone listening. So thank you so much. No, thanks, Murray. Thanks for the opportunity. And I've, I look forward to continuing the conversation. Uh, we, we will. Now, you can't get away with giving me your definition of inspired energy. You have given me one beforehand, which I've got to be honest, I absolutely love it. Um, but I'll put you on the spot and see if you can remember what you said or what one comes to mind right now. In the spirit of openness and honesty, I can't remember what I said the first time. <laughs> um, inspired energy. I would immediately on the spot right now, I would say inspired energy. It's a form of energy that's unlocked. It's unlocked by commitment to a greater purpose. And it's, and obviously it has, the purpose has to be aligned with your own, with your own personal value set and your own personal goals. That's pretty spot on to what you said. Since so well <laughs> consistent, consistent. That is it. Consistent. It is. Um, again, thanks so much. Can I just ask anyone listening if you got something out of this conversation? Don't hesitate to share it online. Um, would love to know what you found out of this. We feel like we covered a lot. Lots of great insights from Chris from his leadership um, perspective and and journey. And um, Again, Chris, thank you so much. Really appreciate your time, mate. Keep well, keep healthy, and I'll chat to you soon. Thanks, Mary.